Good morning. <laughs> How beautiful to have family baby dedication this morning. I was asked to introduce the honor of introducing my mother this morning. She's going to be speaking with y'all. And this past Wednesday, we were talking, Allison um, and the girls, we talked about Ruth. And I thought, who is my Ruth? Who was my Ruth? Who is my family Ruth? Ruth is a, has a book in the Old Testament named after her. It's really short. It's only four chapters long. Ruth was a foreigner. But because of Naomi, she saw something in Naomi. And she chose to leave everything and follow that God that she saw in Naomi. At the end of the book of Ruth, Naomi, I mean, uh, Ruth has married Boaz, and they have a son, and his name is Boaz, his name is um, Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse, who fathered David, who was a man after God's own heart. And from David came Jesus. I was reflecting on that historical count, and I started thinking about my lineage. Who is my Ruth? I have a long lineage of, of those that have chose to follow him. And I hesitated this morning to tell you of my story as I'm not boasting. I just wanted to tell you the impact of generations who have said yes. And I feel like this morning is all about the generations. It's a generational testimony. I was born into a home where the presence of God was tangible. I really don't even remember a moment without having access to the presence of God. My mom thinks that I probably received the Holy Spirit probably when I was three. I mean, church and God was real to me. I, would, I was just reminded yesterday as we searched through some photos of me standing behind a space heater Y'all probably don't even know what that is, but you would put gas in it, and it would run through the house, and that's where you got your heat from, but that was my pulpit, and I preached from behind the space heater. In that picture, I was probably less than three years old. Were there storms? Were there choices that I made that were wrong? Yes. But I've always had access to his presence. Generations before me, my mother chose not to just live for God, but to live with God. And that's the difference. She taught me about relationship with him from very early. We, we went to church. We did all the church things. We moved chairs and tables, and we, uh, we were there when the doors were open and when they were closed, and we cleaned, and we did all those things. But at home, she's real. She had a relationship with her God. She read her Bible. She referenced everything to him. She's been faithful and obedient. She taught in church settings since, and I really want to ask her about some of this later, since she was a teen. Yeah. She taught kids' church and Sunday school and young girls and young adults and young marrieds and taught in, and taught in a Christian 
church school for 30 years. And many of those in Shreveport remember her by this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this morning, yes, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Welcome, my mom. So we're going to have a chat with mom this morning. I might need that. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, Rachel got my waterworks flowing. <laughs> but good morning and happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. And since she mentioned what happened, I will tell you. Can I tell you? Them? Oh, okay. <laughs> but... Um, uh, Rachel was playing church, and the children would play church a good bit. Well, she was alone, though, because Angela was just a baby. So she was maybe a little past three, uh, but not much, because there's just three years difference. Angela's a baby. And uh, I was folding clothes back in the bedroom, and I could hear in there, you know, playing church. And uh, she was praying and I knew when it changed from playing that she had touched God and she was just worshiping God and then the next sentence she was just speaking in that heavenly language about a sentence then it got quiet very quiet. Well, in the meantime, now I'd quit folding clothes and knelt down by the bed because I felt the presence of God. And so I, it got real quiet, and I heard her come in, and I got up and sat back on the bed because I felt like this was very private, what had happened to her. And she was a very private person, even when she was young. But she came in, and she said to me, Oh, Mother. She called me Mother. Oh, Mother, why didn't you come help me pray? I started praying, and I couldn't stop. It was just, I never told her about it until she was grown, because I did not want her to base her experience with God on something as a child that maybe she didn't have full understanding, but she did. And like she told you, she used to stand behind that little space heater while I ironed, and she would just preach. And there's some precious memories. And, you know, our children are precious, and they give us precious memories, too. Now, I wasn't going to talk about this, <laughs> so let me go back. But I appreciate her words, and they're a blessing to me. Okay, we're talking about thriving today, and uh, <coughs> when they gave me this topic, uh, well, lots of times, this is just my experience, if God wants to talk to me about something, many times he wakes me up about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and he just, you know, thoughts start coming, and I know they're not mine, you know, 
And um, many times he has worked out problems for me two or three o'clock in the morning. That just seems to be the time that he would wake me up and say, okay, you know, this is our time to talk this through. But So after they'd given me that, you know, it was sometime in the early morning hours that I wake up and Psalms 1 is on my mind. And I thought, Psalms 1, 1 through 3, that's thriving. So let me, let's read it together. Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Yes. Okay. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, nor standeth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Let me stop right here. Delight is not just pleasantness, but delight also has the meaning of value. So his delight, his, his uh, pleasure and his value is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Whatsoever he doeth shall thrive. So I want to look at four words in these three verses. It's blessed, law of the Lord, meditate, and prosper, or thrive. And today, oftentimes, we say, oh, he's blessed. And many times, we are referring to the natural. And that is true. God blesses us in the natural. But I notice in the Amplified Bible, whenever it says blessed, many times, it will give this definition, spiritually prosperous with um, life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and, pre and presence. Regardless, it adds this to it, even though the, the part about spiritually prosperous would be there, and then sometimes it would give other words for the life, joy, and satisfaction. And it will end with regardless of outward conditions. Spiritually prosperous, regardless of outward conditions. Now, this is a definition I came across a few years ago, and I really like it, that blessed is serene, untouchable joy of walking in the presence and the fellowship of God. Let me read again. Serene, untouchable joy of walking in the presence and the fellowship of God. And what does it say in Psalms? In the presence of the Lord is what? Fullness of joy. So it's his presence that gives us that fullness of joy. Now, you know, we are... We are spirit beings wrapped, covered with a flesh tabernacle. So the song this morning <laughs> talked about we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. When we're baptized, he puts us in himself. And we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And, and, and he mentioned about that, you know, we are undefeated in him because he has conquered it all. That, that was in the song this morning, I noticed. So this outward stuff that it talks about, outward conditions, this is some of our temporal outward stuff. But we've got to have it. It's necessary. And moms know a lot, a whole lot, about the details of the outward stuff. Uh, you know, uh, our fathers, our, our husbands go out, and they take care of the big things like, earning a paycheck. Now, that's a big thing. But moms 
uh, take care of a lot of the details of, you know, uh, shopping and cleaning and changing diapers and cooking, all those little details that we got to have. This, this temporal stuff has a lot of temporal tasks that we have to take care of. And the more people, the more task. And the more task, the more chaos. So one thing that is helpful with our temporal stuff is to have an orderly routine. You know, God is a God of order. So we are, um, we're getting ourselves in order with God's order when we have an orderly home to do our orderly routine task. This helps us develop an atmosphere of peace and harmony in the home. Helps things go smoothly. That doesn't mean you won't have chaos sometimes because life just has a way of, you know, things don't go as we planned exactly. But that's life. And we have to learn to be flexible and adjust. But it does, if we can have an a, uh, orderly routine for those ordinary tasks, that it does help to bring peace and harmony in our home, which fosters an atmosphere for everybody to thrive. Uh, I've gotten that take care. Oh, the other thing. You know, order frees our mind. It frees up time. It helps us with our time. And it frees our mind for meditation. We'll talk about that later. The second thing I want to talk about, the law of the Lord. Now, this is my personal definition. <laughs> From following threads in the scripture about the law of the Lord. Well, let me start with the first one that really caught my attention. As a teenager, I read this in Matthew 22. When the lawyer asked uh, Jesus, he said, Well, Master, what is the great commandment of the law? What is the great commandment in the law? Well, the, the lawyer really didn't want to know the answer. He was asking that question so that he could tempt Jesus. But then Matthew 22, 37 through 40 is Jesus' answer. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as you, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, this is the thing that caught me. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So I read it again. Oh, that's strange. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Strange wording. Well, you know, weeks passed. Something happens to remind me of that. And I said, did I really read that? Did it say hang all the law and the prophets? That's strange. Well, I don't know where I read it. So my dad was a Bible reader. He had a concordance and a dictionary and a Bible. So I go get daddy's concordance. I look up hang. And I find Matthew twenty-two forty. Yes. That scripture does say, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, as I got older, sometimes I would do Bible searches on things, and so I did some Bible search on it, and I found other scriptures. And uh, this is one of the threads, and that's the way I would, I think of my Bible study a lot of times. I think of it as a thread, because God will give you one thought. It's like Larry used to have this old computer, and whatever the, um, when he got a message on the email, it would say, Incoming message, incoming message, incoming message, you know, like that. So sometimes I'd be reading my Bible, and a 
And a verse would just, I call it stand out to me. It would just jump out at me. It would just like, hey, hey, something inside of me said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You look at that again. There's a message there for you. So sometimes whenever I would be reading it, well, I would, in my mind, I would hear that. Oh, incoming message. Incoming, when I would feel that pause in here that said, wait, I would say, oh, this is incoming message. This is for me. And, and it really would be. God would, in the scripture. Now, how does he do that? Well, he knew from the beginning what I would be going through that very day. That's right. And so as I'm reading the word of God, there he is. He knows what I'm struggling with that day. And he said, hey, incoming message for you, Margie, right here. And, and sometimes, you know, it would lead me to a word. And so I would go get the concordance, and I would study that word through those scriptures. And it was like a thread that he would talk to me through that thread, that word or that phrase that he had pointed out to me in reading. Our days are numbered. Before he, I was ever born, and a pastor talked about that, before this baby was ever, God knew and he planned for that baby. He knows today. He knows today. And he knew it before I was ever born, before you were ever born. What a great God we have. Yeah. So this verse, Galatians 5, uh, 14, I'll just read it for you. Uh, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. And I guess this is just one message because this is more than one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's in Galatians 5, 14. You know, God's, I have come to this conclusion, God's substance is love. Yes, right. Because Let's see, 1 John 4 and 8, it does say, God is love. Love is God. A being verb there, you can turn them around. If it's a two nouns, God, love, two nouns. That's his substance, love. I know many times, and I've heard this many times, God is omniscient, that he's all-knowing, omnipresent. He's present everywhere. Omnipotent. All power. And, and we do, that's wonderful. And we rejoice over the greatness of God there. But you know what? To me, his love is greater. Because he could be omniscient, all-knowing. He could be omnipresent everywhere. Have all power. But he could be a mean God. But he's not. To me, his greatest attribute Is love. We love him because he first loved us. He has lavished love on us. And Paul said that we could comprehend with all saints the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God. And, you know, that is one thing Satan does not want us to ever comprehend. He fights us to comprehend the love of God. So the law of the Lord is love. Anything he asks us to do is because he loves us. We are so precious to him, and he wants to preserve us and protect us and give us the best life that we could ever know. And it's in him. <clears throat> okay. Uh, oh, yes. And then this was um, later. 
I found 1 Corinthians 13, which describes for us, you know, temporal love is different than God's love. It describes for us, Paul broke it all down, for us to understand the agape love. And that's the term that uh, we give to God's unconditional love for us. I don't earn it. I'm not worthy of it. He gives it to me, lavishly, gives me his love. So that love is, and Pastor mentioned this last week, but I'm going to run them by you again because I already had them in my notes. <laughs> so maybe the Lord wants us to get it again. Patient, kind, generous, humble. And I have thought about this, so I'm digress just a minute. I, one time I thought about this because I have a list of Christian character traits in the school Bible we had, and there was humility. And I thought, and they told us that these character traits were derived from the life of Christ. I thought, well, humility. And I began to think about where in the Bible do I find out about the humility of Jesus? So it's in the back of my mind. And then one day I read it, Philippians, you know, he humbled himself to the death of the cross. He took on himself, though he was God, the form of a servant, us, wrapped himself in flesh, humbled himself. So I thought, yes, you have displayed humility for us, God. Then we're, love is courteous, good manners, unselfish, does not seek its own. This is more vivid than the good-tempered. The modern term is good-tempered, but it says not easily provoked. Oh, I have trouble with that. But God tells me we can do it through him. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth in the truth. That is innocence and guileless. You know, Jesus gave us the 11th commandment. We have Ten Commandments, but really they're summed up in the Eleventh Commandment. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give unto you, a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, as means in the same manner, that you love one another in the same manner as I have loved you. Well, I just mentioned Corinthians 13. Paul broke it down for us and told us this is the manner in which we love one another. But there's three things, uh, aspects of this 13th commandment that we can look at. One, God does not ask us to do this in ourselves. God gives us the love with which to love. He gives it to us. That's Romans 5 uh, and 5. And hope maketh not a shame because... The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. So he gives us his love. We don't only enjoy his love. He gives it to us for it to flow through us and out to other people. And, and part of the fruit of the Spirit is giving that love. Fruit is for the other people. We produce that love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That is his love flowing through us out to other people. 
Number two, love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. I choose in my will. This is one thing God has given to us that he will not touch. Now, he has put a limit. Now, God limits himself. He put a limit on himself. And he said, I give to you free will. I'm not going to bother it. It is yours. We can make those choices. So in our free will, we make the choice to do the loving thing no matter how we feel. And it, this works well in our families. And, and I think I've talked to the young marriage about this. Love is a choice. I don't always feel like loving Larry. That's true. But he doesn't always feel like loving me. Because I act unlovable. There are times my children know I can act unlovable. I get in a zone. <laughs> oh, I'm human. We're all human. We got that problem. But anyway, I have learned that if I will choose to do the loving thing, I can do it with the strength that God gives us. We can do it with his strength. And then I feel better. I really feel better if I choose to do the loving thing, even when I don't feel like it. Okay. <laughs> James gave some good advice. I don't follow it a lot of times, but I'm working on trying to follow it. <laughs> yeah, we're all in the same boat. Aren't we? Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> okay. This is James' advice. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. Yeah, me too. I am quick to speak, but I'm working on it. And when we get slower to speak, it gives us time to make that decision. You know, sometimes I fly out of the coop. I hadn't thought a thing about a decision. I've just flown off the handle. But, you know, it does help if we become slow to speak. Then the third thing about the 11th commandment is keep practicing. It's about practicing. We're in, we can think of life like this. We're at choir practice down here. In this temporal, this is choir practice. We're practicing to hit the right notes, to get the right timing, the right beat. I miss some notes. You know, make it right. Hope, make it not a shame. Just make it right and get in there and practice some more. So the more often we choose to do the loving thing, the easier it becomes. Because God made our brains so that they start helping us in this respect. The more, this is the way a habit is built. We do an act. We repeat that act. The next time we do that act, it is easier to do it because the brain actually builds a pathway. So this Doing the loving thing becomes the least resistant pathway because we've already made that pathway. And then we do it again, and we deep, dig a deeper pathway. So it kind of gets an embedded pathway. By the way, that is, this is the positive thing. The negative thing is that people get addicted because they choose a different pathway. So it works the same way. But we want it to work the positive way. Choose the loving action. And then it becomes a habit. So that 
this situation comes up, then I'm, I'm in the habit of choosing the loving thing. We practice makes perfect. We just keep practicing. And then practice helps us thrive and prosper. The third word I want to look at is meditate, which is focused thinking. Now, every one of us, well, maybe somebody in here does not worry. Well, you would have to learn how to meditate. But uh, uh, we already know how to meditate because when we worry and we get anxious, and you know how, it, this is how it does with me. I get something on my mind, I'm worried about it, it goes, oh, I'm back to the same place. Oh, you can't do that, Marginette. No, next thing I know, I, I'm going around that wheel again. I'm not getting anywhere. You know, it's just like that uh, uh, progressive worms. They go around and around and around the top of the teacup, and they never get anywhere. Well, that's the way I am with worry. I go round and round and round, and I never solve anything. I'm just getting more and more tensed and all that. Well, you know what? We, what we have to do is focus our thinking on the Word of God. This is meditation. When we start focusing on what God says, because it's not his will for us to be all anxious and upset. So we choose to focus on the word of God. Uh, the scripture tells us this. Too. This is a, it says part of the, uh, let's see, it's 2 Corinthians 10, 5, the ending of that uh, scripture. It says, Bring, bringing into captivity every thought, to the obedience of Christ, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's in Proverbs 23, 7. So this is interesting to me, and I think you've learned about this thinking. We think about 48 thoughts a minute. Now, they're not all up to the conscious level that we could put it in words, but we, our mind is working that fast. About they, somewhere between 50,000 thoughts to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts. Now, they do say this. People who practice meditation have better control of their thoughts. Therefore, they think fewer thoughts because they concentrate on their thoughts, and they're more conscious thoughts. So... <clears throat> Many of our, uh, our thoughts come from our five senses. They just, we all the time, we are just kind of imbibing all this stuff from our senses, and, th and that thought is formed. And we can accept or reject a thought. God gives us that power. So we can bring it into captivity. Now, some of our thoughts, you may think, I don't think 48 thoughts a minute. Well, many of our thoughts are like, how do I say, below the real conscious level. For instance, I, walk, I see a door. I'm walking. There's a door. I don't think. I've got to find the doorknob, turn the doorknob, push the door open, walk through the door, close the door. We don't think that. We've been through a door before many times. The thought is there, though, or our hand would not reach out and because everything that we do is a thought manifest in our body in this fleshly thing we manifest i had to have the thought to reach out to touch the knob to turn it to push the door but it's not a conscious thought so we put our conscious thought into meditating on the word of god 
Did you know some studies have reported in doing their thinking, working with thinking, that 80% of most people's thoughts are negative? From the, the people that they studied, they made this projection that about 80% of most people's thoughts are negative thoughts. Worry is a negative thought. Self-pity is a negative thought. Poor me. I got all this to do. I'm a victim. If I hadn't have been born in this family or this country, I'm a victim. I lost my job. I'm a victim. That's a negative thought. And really, you know, that's kind of a slam against God. Because he's going to take care of us. He tells us that. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. So we've got to overcome that negative thinking. But it's, what, who said that earlier? This stinking thinking. That's, that's true. It's stinking thinking. Uh, you know, we have all kind of filters today. You've got coffee filters and water filters and air filters. Well, God gave us a mind filter. Philippians 4, 8. I, I one time had it in memory. I hope I can Okay, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think, think, think on these things. Bring your mind into captivity. Here's your filter. What's true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. Praise, virtue. Think on these things. You will be healthier. I will be healthier if we think on these things. Because positive thoughts are thoughts that are based in love and, and faith. Positive thoughts that come into our mind cause our brain, wait, our mind generates thoughts. Our brain is the organ that takes care of those thoughts, that processes those thoughts and goes and tells the other organs of the body what to do. So when we, our mind is generating positive thoughts, then they go into the brain and the brain processes those thoughts and when they're positive thoughts, it makes up good chemicals that go babe, healthy chemicals that babe every cell in our body. If we have negative thinking, if we've got 80% negative thinking, that says our brain is telling our body to build 80% unhealthy chemicals because our brain was not made for negative thinking. It was made for love-based thoughts like God. Love-based thoughts. Well, I, I'm working on having positive thoughts. I'm working on healing by thinking positively. Because, you know, a lot of the autoimmune diseases, and I've read this, and I'm, I have a, well, I've been affected sometimes by this autoimmune disease, but, and I feel so badly because I found out that, that a lot of that comes, breaks down by negative thinking, fear thoughts. So we can think ourselves healthy by keeping our mind meditating on the Word of God. So prosper. That's the last word, prosper. That's to flourish, to thrive, to grow. David's advice in Psalms 1, 1 through 3, about meditating on the law of the Lord, this will help us prosper. 
there's another scripture that says, 1 Timothy 4, 6, nourished up by the words of faith. And then another one in uh, 1 Peter 2, 2, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So it tells me the word is where I thrive. If I will get my roots into the word, my mind into the word, my meditation into the word, then we thrive. And he shall be like a tree that's thriving, planted by the rivers of water. I see that like the word of God. The word of God is my textbook. The spirit of God is my teacher. So we get in, we plant ourselves by that tree. By a, a tree planted by the roots of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We know it's going to prosper spiritually, and that's the main thing. We are seeing. Okay, let me just share with you quickly my my string of pearls. This is what I've called. I don't have all of them here, but I have a string of pearls. Now I, I really don't wear them. I keep them in my mind and my heart. They are the little. Uh, precious gems that I found in the Word of God that have helped me get through many things because I had to go back to the Word of Scripture. The first one, uh, Deuteronomy 33, uh, 27. The eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy before, from before thee and shall say, destroy them. Now, in the Reader's Digest oh, decades ago, there was an article called The Timeless and Timely Book. And it was a psychiatrist who wrote about the Bible. And he said that this verse of Scripture has two comforts in it. One, the, one of the few fears that a baby is born with, that we're born with, is the fear of falling. And so he gives us this Scripture. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And I make it personal. When I, these scriptures, I take them and make them. Pray. Underneath are your everlasting arms, Lord. I know they're underneath there. You are my refuge because the word says it. Uh, and then another thing is uh, the, uh, one of the deepest um, communications is touch. And there is also, he is holding us in his arms. There is touch and then there is the holding underneath are his everlasting arms. I want to read you two quotations that this Dr. Blanton said, this psychiatrist. He said, psychiatrist, psychiatry is sometimes helpful and sometimes it's not. But this is what he said about the Bible. It's the greatest textbook on human behavior ever put together. The greatest textbook. I told you it's my textbook. It's the greatest textbook ever put together on human being. If people would just absorb its message, a lot of psychiatrists could close their offices and go fishing. They'd have to get another job. But that was what that psychiatrist said. He kept his Bible on his desk. And the reason he even wrote the article is because a patient questioned him about it. So he began to uh, tell the patient, and then he wrote the article. He says the Bible is a book that for 3,000 years has been a help in time of trouble to any person who was wise enough to use it. So be wise and thrive. Let's meditate on the living word of God. Okay, the next verse of Scripture, 2 Timothy uh, 1.7. And my daughter (laughs) quotes, Rachel quotes this to me often. (laughs) When I get perturbed, upset. And here it is. Now, mother, she was saying, now, mother, 
<laughs> God hath not given you the spirit of fear. She makes it personal, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And it's true. And, the, and we sang about part of that this morning. Uh, and then the next one, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God has, I told you, a divine purpose for everything that comes in our lives. We are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can get to us without going through Christ Jesus first. So if it comes to us, we know it's been through him first, and he has a divine purpose for it to grow us, to prepare us. It's, it's got some divine purpose. So we, do you know, giving thanks to God when the outward circumstances aren't too pleasant, but we still give thanks to God, this is an expression of trust in God. And I have heard this before. The greatest compliment we can give God is to trust him. Just trust him. And trust is kind of like this. You know, when you get ready to go to bed tonight, you're going to sit down on that bed, and you're just going to fall back. And you believe that bed's going to hold you up because it always has. You don't go check the legs and... Let me feel of it before I sit down. Let me make sure this is going to hold. We don't do that. We just sit. So someone gave me. This is how they explain trust to me. It's just resting on God. He's going to take care of it. So in everything I can give thanks because God is trustworthy. God alone is trustworthy. Okay. Psalms um, 11973. The hands, and I tell God this a lot of times in the morning. <laughs> Thy hands have fashioned me, thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. I see God as my personal teacher. It's a one-on-one -on -one teacher. Who knows me better than God? He fashioned me, he made me. Who can explain things to me better than anyone else. It's my God. So he will give me understanding when I need it. And this, um, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And I think I've already talked to you about being in Christ and everything that comes to us. It's coming through him. It is for our good. He always, God is good, that's Psalms 1, yes, God is good and he doeth good. That's in Psalms 119, 68, I think. Okay, um, thriving is trusting God. All I trust you, God, you said it, all these things are working for my good. Now, Rachel's already given you this one, and this has been my, my pearl for 59 years because I got it before I went to college. And it's what, it was my nugget to go to my gym, to hold on to, lay at night in that college dorm and go over and over this verse of scripture because I was going to face something or I had faced something. I can do, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I have gone through this verse in different ways. I was like, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
I can do all things through Christ. You know, we, we memorize scriptures that way by giving emphasis to every word. Then I found uh, another translation, the expanded uh, New Testament. And I like the way it's worded too. I am strong for all things through the one who constantly infuses me, infuses strength in me. I am strong through the one for all things in the one. Sorry. I am strong for all things in the one who constantly infuses, I add a word here, his strength in me. So every day we are infused with his strength. He said we were. I can do all things. The word of God is sure. It's going to stand. Nothing else that I look at today, anything that I touch today, it is not going to stand. The closest thing that I have that I can touch of God is his word. I can't handle him like John said. I can't touch, but I can touch his word. There are times I've gone to bed and slept with his word because I needed to have it close. You know, we go through those times. So I think Psalms 1, 1 through 3 is a good prescription for thriving. You are blessed. You are spiritually prosperous regardless of outward circumstances. Delight yourself in meditating in the law of the Lord, which is the love of God, and you shall be like that tree planted by the rivers of water. And you shall prosper, flourish, and thrive. So, Lord bless you.